It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the minds of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Gessman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. I'm your host, Josh Gessman, coming to you on Monday, May 11th. Uh, May 11th right now would have been the start of Rivalry Week if you're paying attention, and the LA Galaxy would have been headed to Bank of California Stadium just if we were sort of, you know, actually in a normal time. We're not in a normal time. The games aren't being played, but we have a bunch of stuff to get to. Uh, we'll talk about the LA Galaxy training and the progress on that because it did not happen today. We're going to talk about that. Uh, MLS formal proposal for a 20% pay cut from the Players Union. Um, so that's a big, interesting sort of uh, uh, development as we go. Uh, and of course, there's some plans on the table to start MLS back up in some different cities. And then we have the LA Galaxy Girls Academy, which we're going to talk uh, touch on just a little bit more. In order to help me do all that, uh, the panda's back in the house, uh, Mr. Kevin Baxter. Kev, how's it going? Me- Metro reporter Kevin Baxter, I should say. Uh, yeah, you know. well, you guys don't give me any soccer stuff to do, so what do you want me to do? i got to do something. By the way... Uh, the rivalry week thing. I got a release from MLS early this morning saying a rivalry week was this week, and I had to call the league and say, "Hey, you guys know that you all suspended the season, right?" <laughs> it, it's still so, a rival. I, I yeah. guess it's still a rivalry week. Are, are they supposed to just tweet weird things? I know San Jose Earthquakes have been already trying to, you know, stir things up on Twitter with the LA Galaxy, and like normal, they were kind of ignored. So, um, yeah, you that, know. That- that's kind of weak. By the way, speaking of rivalry week, though, I saw that you – I don't know if you put the video on on social media or you just re- responded to it, but there was a great video of Mike McGee's turn as a goalkeeper against San Jose Yes. Uh, online today. And it was – it was, you know, Mrs. Panda gets credit or blame, whatever you call you want to call it. Mrs. Panda gets credit or blame for getting me uh, enthused about soccer and becoming a soccer writer in the first place. It's a long, boring story we can talk about later. But the point of this was – she identifies soccer players like you would not believe. And she's not one of those people that reads all the magazines and sits in front of the TV. But anyway, I was showing her the video. I never said this was Mike McGee. I just said, watch how good this guy is in goal. He's a midfielder. And she said, that's the guy that got traded to Chicago, right? And I'm like, <laughs> little, little Mike McGee trivia. Traded no, to Chicago. I, I'm like, I love you. I love you. <laughs> that, that's, I love you. that's good. No, it was. Uh, it's always fun to revisit this every year. And I know MLS was putting out the video. Um, I was actually at this game. Kevin, I went up to San Jose, um, so I was there. I saw this game. I watched it from the stands, actually. Um, it was a crazy, ridiculous game. Um, and there's there's a couple it just really sort of weird sort of things if you, if you want to get to it. Um, one of the things that if you were there at the game and you saw... Uh, first of all, it was the birth of McGee. McGee. McGee is on fire. Um, that is that is where that chant came from. And it, I remember being sort of near the supporters groups and watching them as they came up with this on the fly because nobody expected Mike McGee to be in goal. And so that was the birth of that chant. So that's where that one came from. Uh, it was also the birth of Mike McGee facts, the hashtag where it says, you know, Mike McGee facts. And then basically it's a bunch of Chuck Norris re sort of vitalized stuff. I, I always bring this up and I'm sure longtime listeners have, have remembered. And Kevin, I'm not even sure if you know the answer. Do you know who the first person to ever tweet out a Mike McGee fact was? Must have been you. you it was. It was me. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been asking. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Led you right to led you right to the water on that one. Um, yeah. So it was it was me. I was the first person well, to ever. And by the way, the tweet that was the first one has no interaction whatsoever. I think it has like three retweets. 
overall like there's there's nothing but it was retweeted by the la galaxy at the time uh way back in the day and they asked for their best mike mcgee facts so i actually did it before i got on a plane in san jose landed in orange county uh from that trip back and uh and all of a sudden mike mcgee facts was a thing um so that was that was interesting a couple of things about that video and people should look at it if they can find it online again there was two instances where he came off his line uh one where he made a leaping save the other made a sprawling save i thought that the anticipation was for a midfielder again was pretty insane. I mean, it, it, he must have played goalie at it's, it, even just goofing around and training. He must have played goalie at some point because no. it, his uh, there was uncanny. And then the other part, I know I'm going to get a lot of disagreement on this, but I'm not so sure that Saunders was totally guilty. Uh, I know he elbowed the guy in the head, but I mean, you saw what led up to that. And, and right. the San Jose player didn't even get a card at all that I saw, at least in the video. Yeah. Didn't get a, a yellow he, card he or a red card. He, he did get he a did yellow get card. A yellow? Yeah, oh, okay. Leonard got a got a yellow card. Um, so the the events of that day, if everybody remembers, is that Donovan Ricketts broke his hand earlier in that game. Josh Saunders had to come off the bench, um, and come in uh, for Ricketts. So then Saunders in that same half, because that all happened in the first half, in that same half, Saunders got that red card, and that was when Steven Lenhart tried to head the ball out of Saunders' hands. Uh, he gets a yellow card for it, and Saunders reaches back with his elbow. In a way, it almost feels like you couldn't not red card Saunders. You like It would be one of those times where if you saw the referee just sort of disregard the rules and say, listen, I'm not going to give a red card for it. I refuse to. You would understand. You can also kind of understand why he did it. I will tell you, that things kind of almost evened out in the end in this. Um, and the real reason that, that this was like my, my third sort of interesting fact of the day, uh, of that particular day, is if you were there at that, at that game, if you were in the stadium, then you saw one of the greatest all-time battles of a center back, uh, Greg Berhalter, now U.S. men's national team coach, uh, former Columbus crew coach, former L.A. Galaxy coach slash, slash player, uh, but you saw Greg Berhalter put on a defending clinic on how to annoy somebody with Steven Lenhart for the rest of that game. And it was about 60-something minutes, if I remember correctly. But all you saw was Greg Berhalter, Kevin, go at Steven Lenhart. Any chance he could get, he would put in just that extra kick, just that extra stab. Just that. I mean, Lenhart probably got kicked 30 or 40 times throughout that last 60 minutes, all by Greg Berhalter. Every time Lenhart would get anywhere near the ball... Berhalter would just kick him, and the referee was watching it and just let it go. He was like, listen, you already got the red card. You're not getting any of these calls. And Lenhart was beat up by the end of that. Um, so it was just one of those fun sort of things to watch. But Greg Berhalter knew exactly what he was doing that day. Um, and, you know, the Galaxy, it's, it was a 0-0 draw, um, which I don't think most people remember. But the, but the big deal is that the Galaxy defense just didn't allow much. And Mike McGee came up with the few saves that he needed, which I think maybe was four or five. Uh, clear saves, and San Jose was frustrated in that little tiny high school uh, stadium that they were playing at at the time, um, was frustrated to no end, and you know that was sort of, I think that was the Stephen Lenhart didn't want to talk to the media and was basically crying at the, after the game. Um, so it was all an interesting game, and it's always a fun time to sort of think back on as, uh, as LA Galaxy, uh, well, and you know, it's as you not, see it. And it's not even the, maybe the, well, it was an awful great effort by McGee, but maybe not even the most impressive turn in goal for an offensive player. Remember Mia Hamm played goalkeeper in the 1995 Women's World Cup and preserved a shot. I made two saves to preserve a 2 nothing shutout. Um, yeah. Sort of similar, well, not not similar circumstances. There was goalie that got injured and 
and Mia Hamm had to come in, but that's pretty impressive too in a World Cup. It, it is. It, it is. No, I mean it's always. I, I think it's always funny whenever you have to see a field player go in goal. Uh, Mike McGee will tell you, as we've asked him many times on this show, and we used to ask him every time. Uh, this would be brought up, um, but he would he would be asked, we're like, well, what made you think to do it? And he was like, no, I was an idiot. He goes, I should have never said that. I should have never gone over them. I'm like, yeah, put me in. He was, he was like, no, that shouldn't have happened. He goes, I didn't play goalkeeper. There was no reason for me to be there, but he did, um, which is funny because really, if you're thinking that Bruce Arena had some sort of master plan on any of this, there was no master plan. It was Mike McGee saying, oh, well, I'll do it. <laughs> and that was well, it. you know, they- Baseball teams always have third catchers. There's a guy, utility infielder generally, somebody that that they don't really worry about getting hurt. That they do have a backup plan if they need it. I I just assume they do in soccer, but apparently they don't. Anyway, two. we'll we'll uh, we'll blame Mrs. Panda for wasting this uh, first five minutes of the podcast. Yeah, it's, it's, Mike al- it's always fun to listen to. That's it's always fun to talk about that game. So yeah, that was that. And like we said, it's rivalry week um, as you were talking about. So the LA Galaxy for the very first time would have opened up a season uh, series against LAFC at Bank of California Stadium. So this game would have been on Saturday, May 16th. Um, and this game would have been broadcast on big ABC, by the way. That wouldn't be, uh, that, was, that was not planned for a cable network of any time. This was over the air television ABC. Um, so it would have been a, a big match, and obviously there would have been a lot of buildup to it. A noon um, start, too. A noon start, always always a great time for you know football. And, and Actually, you know what? In May, noon is probably isn't as bad. It probably would still be hot, by the way. Um, that's usually how it is whenever we, there's, a, there's a noon game, but it still would have been interesting. So as we go about all these things, just sort of put that in your mind, that this would have been that week. Um, coming off of playing the New York Red Bulls at home, the LA Galaxy would have quote-unquote traveled uh, to Bank of California Stadium and would have played LAFC. But what was actually supposed to happen today, Kevin, uh, as we were sort of led to believe, and, and as we were told, and it's nobody's fault, I'm not trying to blame anybody, but they told us that the LA Galaxy were planning on training on Monday. Uh, today, as we're recording, they were doing that individual training, getting back to it. And I'm here to tell you that the LA Galaxy did not train today on Monday. Um, and there's hope, I think, Kevin, you and I both both understood this, there's hope that they'll still be at it later this week, but it just wasn't Monday as originally planned. Well, a little history on this. Uh, MLS, along with the NWSL, were the first two professional leagues in the U.S. and Canada to allow teams to have quote-unquote training sessions. I keep getting told by team officials when I talk to them saying these are not training sessions, these are individual workouts, and, and that's really splitting the hair. But they okayed that last week. But there are a ton of caveats and provisions. Uh, for example, they have teams must follow a detailed protocol. It includes standardized screening and temperature checks for every player. Right. Staggered arrivals and departures so that there's not a crowd in the parking lot. Players have to wear protective masks to and from the field. They can take them off when they're on the field. Players have to have to train in a quadrant of the field, meaning only four players at a time can train uh, on an out. Has to be on an outdoor field. Um, and they can't use any of the facilities. They can't use the weight room. They can't even use the bathroom. They can't use the. Tra- they can only go into the training facility if they have a medical condition that needs to be treated and can't be treated at home. For example, if they're rehabbing an injury, there are a lot of provisions. And then on top of that, you have to add the individual local uh, regulations. So Orlando City and Miami, they were two of the teams that trained on the first day last Wednesday. Why? Florida is an open state right now. It basically has no 
requirements. Houston right. and uh, FC Dallas are both training. Why? Because in Texas, you can do whatever you want. Kansas City, Sporting Kansas City is training. Why? In Kansas, you can do whatever you want. So the California teams are a little bit punished because of what Governor Newsom's you know, stay-at-home order. So that's uh, that's some of the background. The teams were allowed to train, but they had to, to, to uh, take care of all these provisions. The Galaxy wanted to train last week. They knew they weren't going to make Wednesday. They're just they're complying with the provisions and getting the permission from L.A. County, uh, the health department, and Barbara Ferrer, the director. It was just too onerous, and they knew they weren't going to be able to do it in time. So they thought maybe they could be on the field last Friday. They didn't make it. They thought maybe they could do it Monday. That was the plan. They were going to work on those uh, on that documentation over the weekend. They didn't make it. Now the plan is Wednesday or maybe Thursday. But, um, again, the workouts they do – um, from what I've seen from the other teams, guys go out, they do a little bit of stretching, they do some sprinting because you're in a quadrant of the field, so you can you can sprint up to 50 yards. They do some sprinting, um, uh, they do agility drills, they go around the pylons, and a little bit of ball handling at the end. But they can't pass to another player. Right. Uh, I think it was Sporting Kansas City that put some uh, some sort of walls out in the middle of the yeah, quadrant you, for each player. They could kick against the wall. Yeah, they have the, like the low backboards that you can pass against. That way, you can you can kick the ball out of the ball will rebound towards you. And so, you know, the low passing walls that they have there. Yeah, um, it's an you, you know, and that, that sounds stupid for a world class soccer player, <laughs> but I have actually watched Carly Lloyd train, and she trains on her own at a gym uh, in New Jersey, and. Part of her training, up to an hour, is just kicking a ball against the wall. And she tells me uh, that what it does is not so much the kicking part, it's receiving the ball as it rebounds back to her. Uh, she learns how to receive the ball. And she, and she kicks the ball at various speeds and you know various strengths, and the ball comes back differently. And it, it teaches her how to react when the ball comes back. So it's not so much the kicking part as the receiving part. Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting you know sort of regimen. The whole idea here is obviously to get uh, players away from the parks and away from these places where you know technically they're probably less protected or at least less separated from the public and put them in a professional training atmosphere where they can control access. And I'll tell you, not not that it was a surprise and not that we asked, um, but you know there would be there's no press allowed on site. Really, the the amount of people that they're putting on site is strictly limited and strictly um, sort of you know policed um, and everything the, to do with MLS's plan on this has like exactly the, the number of people who will be there what their roles are why they're there like everybody has to have a reason uh, to do that but the the other part of this Kevin and excuse me and you talked about it um, was looking at you know the county of Los Angeles we're, we're talking about and we're going to talk a little bit here about MLS's plans um, to sort of try to get this season underway and in closed door environments and in certain in certain cities but really, the big deal for us as we're looking here, Kevin, is that, um, you know, it's not just about city laws and it's not just about county laws. It's about state laws. Um, whenever you go go through this and all these different orders that are going, um, you know, I, I know a bunch of Galaxy fans are certainly going to point out that, you know, the, the LA Galaxy couldn't get training done in time, but LAFC was able to to start training um, and it seems like there even might have been some confusion about whether or not they had approval or whether they didn't have approval. Well, I did a little bit of reporting on this today, and I talked to the people or exchanged emails with the people at the health department, the L.A. County Health Department. They uh, said that my request was being handled, but they never gave me an answer. But here's what I've been able to piece together. LAFC, as you know, trains at Cal State Los Angeles. That is in the city of Los Angeles. Uh, the Galaxy train in Carson, that is in the county of Los Angeles. Sounds like, a, a you know, it's it's not a big deal, but it's more than semantic differences. LAFC 
went through this, the proper protocol, what they thought was the proper protocol. It took them two days too. Remember, they didn't they didn't train Wednesday. Actually, they trained Thursday. It took them one extra day. They thought, and uh, in, in talking to people uh, with the club, they thought that they had permission to train, and they were going by a directive they received from the mayor's office, Mayor Eric Garcetti, the mayor of Los Angeles. They train in Los Angeles. They believed that they had to go ahead to train. So they did. And then Barbara Ferrer, uh, who is in charge of the county health department, which has jurisdiction over Los Angeles, the city, uh, she was not happy that they went and trained, said that you guys did not have my permission. I have not signed off on these protocols and uh, told them uh, they trained Thursday and Friday, told them they could not train today. That's why LAFC did not train and will not train until later in the week. Um, the Galaxy were dealing with the same office. Um, they did not think, I, I think, you know, people are going to make a big deal about this. I really, truly believe in talking to the people at LAFC that they were operating in, in good faith and they thought the city was able to approve this and they thought that, that everything was okay. Why, if they didn't, why would they have waited an extra day? So, you know, I think they operated in good faith. The Galaxy dealing with the county the whole time right. knew that they had a little bit more of an onerous procedure to go through. And so they, they took a little bit more time. Um, and so that's why the Galaxy missed the, the two training days that LAFC had last week. The other thing about you talking about who can go to those things, I did talk to Bob Bradley after uh, LAFC's first training session last Wednesday, uh, Thursday. Coaches were allowed to go. They had to keep social distancing. They had to you know, wear a mask and do those other things. But they were able to watch the players uh, and they were able to talk a little bit to the players. And Bob Bradley said that that was really important. No, he didn't learn anything about any player, they, no player <laughs> right. improved their playing style in the field. But he, he got to see who came in fat, who came in skinny, who who is not able to run uh, 55 yards at a dead sprint. He got to see a little bit of those things. He said it gave him a, a, a sense of who was doing their work and who wasn't. And then he said, as opposed to talking to guys on Zoom chats and stuff, he got a chance to look in a guy's eyes and say, hey, how's your family? How are you doing? Do you need anything? Are you okay? And he got a sense of which guys are struggling with this. Uh, quarantine and which guys are doing okay. Yeah, it, it's an important part. I think the bigger focus here is is sort of you know uh, is to look at the different rules and regulations that are going to be um, a hurdle for any sort of restart. I mean, you know, we talk about it. You know, we're dealing with the city, you're dealing with the county, you're dealing with the state. Um, you know, California is linked with several other Western states. So, you know, if you're in Colorado, you're basically waiting for California um, at the same time. And what California is going to do in order to do these different things. So it's, it is confusing and it's not clear cut. These are not, it's not like there are lines of communication that have been drawn throughout the years. That way it's a clear cut process in order to do this stuff. And that's what this highlights more than anything, Kevin, is that it's a, it's sort of the wild, wild west out there in terms of trying to figure out what you need to do, how you need to do it, um, and who you need to talk to in order to get it done. And, you know, there's going to be little people, there's going to be people who sort of, you know, create their own fiefdoms. Uh, in terms of, well, uh, you know, L.A. County, L.A. County Health. I'm L.A. County Health, and I say what goes on in the county, and that goes for the city, and that goes for, you know, Carson, and that goes for these different places. And I because I say so, um, even if L.A. City might have, you know, their own health department, these, these lines are drawn, and they have been drawn, but they've never been tested in the way that they've been tested in terms of the power of health officials uh, and the power of governors. Um, to restrict what happens in their state, in their county, in their city. Um, well, you mentioned Colorado. Um, the, the Rapids thought that they were going to train today. They sent out uh, all kinds of press statements over the weekend, and they did interviews. The coaching staff, Robin Frazier and others, did interviews saying, we're going to be on the field Monday, looking forward to it. 
Monday came, people went out there, nope, no one on the field. They couldn't train because they ran in the same problem the Galaxy and LAFC did in, in that the health officials that needed to sign off were not happy with uh, you know, the procedures or were not happy with the assurances they were given. We'll talk about this in a minute when we talk about uh, perhaps the, the season resuming at let, neutral sites. Let's but do it. Let's, let's move let's to that. Let's do it now. Yeah. Well, what I wanted to say on that is is you you mentioned there are 14 states now that are still basically under lockdown, and some are, are wide open and some are beginning to open, but there are 14 states, including California, that are under lockdown. So let's compare two. One of them, uh, Florida, where we'll talk about where it uh, looks like a, a tournament may be played if MLS decides to bring uh, teams back at a neutral site. As we mentioned, Rick DeSantis, the governor of, of Florida, has opened the state up. He's considered uh, sports to be an essential business. He's held a WWE wrestling card and a UFC fight card there already. And both MLS teams are training. And he's already talked about the Tampa Bay Rays may able to be able to start using uh, their facility to start training there, too. Compare that with California, which has three MLS teams. And Governor Newsom today in a press conference said uh, when Major League Baseball approached him and said, hey, we'd like the to have the possibility of playing Major League Baseball games, even in empty stadiums in July. And Newsom said, no, I can't promise that. And the, the county health people in, in Santa Clara County, which includes San Jose, they've said we may not see people in stadiums until November. So you, here you have Florida saying, we're open for business, let's do it. And California saying, not in July, maybe not even in November. And that's kind of the stuff that you're talking about. You know, it's MLS is in 17 states, the District of Columbia and three provinces of Canada. That's eight. You know, that's what, 21 different sets of regulations they have to deal with. Yeah. And not only that, but you d drill down into county, um, you know, lines in there as well. And it can be even more. So, you know, trying to figure all this stuff out now, um, you know, it, it's been kicked around and I'm sure most people have seen it, but there are plans on the table right now uh, for MLS to restart in the near future. Um, I think we're still looking around June-ish uh, right now, Kevin. Um, we'll see if that ends up happening. But, you know, June, July, August, I think is sort of those, the, it's, a, it's a wide enough uh, target that we can sort of say that looks what like MLS wants to do. Um, but the, the in three cities and basically take all teams to either two cities or three cities um, and the, those cities are at least uh, what we've been sort of led to believe is Orlando, uh, Kansas City, and Dallas. Kansas uh, City, Kansas. I was going to say not Kansas City, and, Missouri. Um, so, yeah. But, but I think I think they're going to uh, note that there's one Eastern Conference uh, city and two Western Conference cities. I think the plan would be to take the Western Conference teams to either Kansas City or Dallas, Eastern Conference teams to Orlando, and, and then they would hold a tournament of those teams. So you'd have conference tournaments essentially. And I think you brought up the thing when you and I were talking earlier in the week, um, that the way you do it is if you're going to try to have the 34 game season, meaning play 32 more games, I don't think that's realistic, but if they decide to do that, I think this is a way to, you play all your conference games, get those out of the way. And if you had to declare a champion, a conference champion, this is a fair way to do it. All the conference teams played each other. So you have a conference champion, but get those games out of the way. And then if you can open this, if the country opens up again and people can travel, and that's a big if, if people can travel, then you play the out of conference games after that. But that just seems to be a neat way to do it. Keep the Western teams in the West, the Eastern teams in the East, go to a state that's already open, Texas, Kansas, and, and Florida, their governors have pretty much opened their states and would be receptive to this. And, you know, it, it, we're not going to get into politics on this, but if you're MLS, I think what you want to do is go to a place where you don't want to go to California. You don't want to go to a place where the governor is going to be looking over your shoulder and asking a lot of questions. 
Does it put the players in danger? I think a lot of health officials would argue that it does. We know that right. Rick DeSantis in Florida and Mark Abbott in Texas, they have not listened to their their health authorities. And there's a, a you know real fear of a second wave of coronavirus. But MLS isn't worrying. You know, I, I don't think MLS... That's the first thing they're worrying about. I'm not saying they're 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 being cavalier about this. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying when you make the plans, I think as we've seen from the galaxy taking a week to figure out what Barbara Ferrer wants, I think you want what you want to do is go to a place where they're going to let you set the regulations. I'm sure if MLS comes in and says here's here's what we're going to do in Orlando, I'm sure Florida will say sounds good to us. That, yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it is some of that, um, you know, and this would be, uh, as I think we've talked about a bunch before, is it would be taking all teams into s- certain hotels. Um, it would be quarantining those hotels. It would be separating uh, the players from the general public, and it would be about taking those teams um, and putting them into stadiums and playing closed-door games, and you know, as that way they could be televised, um, and you could watch those on TV, and that, you know, that's sort of how they would play this quote-unquote tournament. Um, it might be like a Monday or a, you know, a Sunday, Sunday, uh, or excuse me, a Saturday, Wednesday, you know, Sunday type of thing. Um, and that just sort of repeats. And maybe, you know, every other week you don't have a midweek game. Uh, you know, you've looked at some of what IFAB has done, the international um, board that sets rules for uh, FIFA and for FIFA soccer around the world. Um, and they've now allowed up until I think December 31st, they've allowed for five subs to be allowed in games and five subs uh, during three stoppages. So basically two times you would have to sub two players at the same time. Uh, but you're looking at five subs and this is because they're expecting schedule congestion in all of the top leagues around the world um, in terms of them trying to finish stuff out and even may possibly starting up the next year um, about how that could possibly still uh, affect things. And I think you're going to see that Major League Soccer, uh, you might look at maybe being able to dress more than the 18, or you might be looking at the five sub rule. Um, There's a whole bunch of things that I think MLS can do to sort of take a look at this. Uh, But yeah, they're going to go to the places that are open, Kevin, and they're going to they're going to try to do that. Now, we talked to Dan Stairs on this on the show. Um, and Dan, you know, had reservations about exactly that type of plan. And Dan's not the only one. There are other players who were questioning, how, you know, how this works and how it all goes. Because, you know, you get one player who tests positive all of a sudden. What are you going to do? You're going to quarantine the whole team. You're going to quarantine all the team that they played on Wednesday and, and and the team on Saturday and the team they played the previous Wednesday. Um, and I think we've sort of covered that a lot there, Kevin, whenever we've talked about sort of what happens when things go wrong, which is, you know, somebody's going to test positive. And listen, somebody's going to test positive, Kevin. It's not, <laughs> it's it's only a matter of time. You're not going to be able to sit there and say, oh, yeah, well, you know, we're going to totally be able to, you know, isolate people. and do, you, you can't. It's going to be very, very difficult. And somebody's going to get in. It's a family member. It's something, you know, regardless of how you quarantine, something's going to happen. And then what happens because of that? We actually thought that the Bundesliga, uh, Kevin was going to probably pause things whenever uh, they had one of their, I think, Bundesliga two teams, uh, three players or two players tested positive and they basically quarantined the whole team and that team can't go out and now um, play in the games that were scheduled to start on May 15th uh, in the Bundesliga. They're going to have to wait because they're quarantined for 14 days. So they're going yeah, to have to Cologne miss games. Had, Cologne had two players in the, and they're in the main Bundesliga. They had two players test positive. Bristol, uh, was it Bristol? A team in England, Brighton, excuse me, Brighton just had a couple of players test positive. And that's kind of making some owners in the Premier League, 14 of the 20 owners in the Premier League need to vote affirmatively for the Premier League to start up again. They've been given permission to start uh, playing by the government June 1st. 
Um, all these decisions, by the way, in Germany, Spain, the reason France is not going forward, all decisions by the government, not by the teams. But in the in the Premier League, you're seeing this situation develop where now some teams are saying, we don't know if we want to go forward with it. And here's a wacky thing. They, they want to go forward at a, at a um, neutral site. Right. One of the reasons they want to do that is with the quarantine and stuff. And by the way, on the quarantine, Steris mentioned this too. It's one thing to say, we're going to quarantine to play these games. That sounds great on the face of it. If you're one of the players, what they're simply telling you to do is you will not see your family for six months or five months. And a lot of the players, you see this in all the sports, are saying, it's not worth that. It's not worth it to me. Yeah. Well, let's just skip the season. But um, in going back to, you know, the governments have to make the decisions to, uh, to start these things. Um, you know, it's kind of out of the team's control a little bit, uh, whether or not they're going to start and, 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 you know, get, uh, again, you know, going back to giving up time with your family. A lot of players don't want to do that. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the other sort of interesting thing about the three cities that we sort of talked about, those states, uh, and you mentioned it, you know, the numbers of cases in those states are, are relatively low compared to the rest of the country. So if you're trying to plan uh, to go ahead, not only are you looking for, you know, states that are, quote, open for business, um, but you're also looking for, you know, states with relatively low counts in terms of, um, you know, coronavirus, uh, you know, rates and, and, and death rates and, and all those things that are in, because that anytime you'd see spikes in any of those things, um, you know, that gives people, you know, a chance to pause and say, you know, is this the best thing on that? Um, and so, you know, you've been seeing the talk around California is that California numbers haven't been coming down as, as quickly as they would like. And in fact, they might even be accelerating here um, as people, I think, get a little bit stir crazy staying inside, uh, especially over Mother's Day weekend. I can tell you that, you know, there were a whole bunch of people out this weekend. Um, so, you know, it's, it's going to be difficult to control all this stuff um, as it goes forward. But that's the plan right now. And those look like the three cities. And I think, you know, either Dallas or Kansas City, maybe Dallas makes more sense. But you talk about fields, Kevin, and you don't stadiums sometimes you just need fields because right. really you, you, there's nobody going to be in the stands um, well one so, thing the nfl has talked about is is when if they have to play in empty stadiums what they'll do is use uh, they'll use very tight camera angles and pipe in sound to make it look like a real game um i think when you look at florida for example you know you have wide disney's wild world of sports they have a ton of world-class fields there there are great fields all over the orlando area and there are a ton of empty hotels right now. You could put, uh, the, you know, each MLS team would have their own hotel and you could lock it down. So Orlando looks like a good site. However, um, this you know, hurricane season starts June 1st and it's supposed to be one of the most uh, active hurricane seasons on record. There could be a ton of rain. You could run into problem with COVID-19 and hurricane damage. Uh, it could be a real recipe for disaster. There's nothing you can do about that if that's where you decide to play. Right. But one thing I wanted to say, going back to the EPL that I forgot is one of the things when they talk about the neutral site in the EPL is here's what they're afraid of. And imagine how bad this could be. Manchester City plays Manchester United. They play obviously in Manchester, one stadium or the other. Um, stadium's closed. You can't get in. No tickets sold. It's a TV show only. They're afraid of supporters. And this isn't just Manchester, Liverpool, Everton, you know, Chelsea, wherever. They're afraid of hundreds of, uh, of tens of thousands of supporters showing up outside the stadium. Right. With games being played inside, technically they're not violating any rules because they're not going inside the stadium. They're on city ground where people can congregate. You're going to have tens of thousands of people not, you know, uh, observing social distancing, maybe not wearing masks. Who knows? So the game itself could not contribute at all to the spread inside the stadium. But outside the stadium, you could have a new outbreak of COVID-19 because supporters want to come and just stand in the parking lot of the stadium. That is really wacky to me. But that's one thing that some of these 
Premier League uh, owners are taking into consideration when this vote comes up this week. Yeah, I think you could say even, you know, to, to the extent, I think even in MLS, that could also be, you know, an issue of, of, of fans wanting to come and, and stand outside stadiums and do all that stuff. Now, we, I think you were told, Kevin, that, you know, if, or, or and we'll see if this all pans out, but if they do um, do closed-door games, you and I and I think uh, a bunch of the other reporters were under the opinion that, um, that they wouldn't let us anywhere near those games. They, you know, we get to watch them on TV. And listen, uh, I have a I have a five month old right now. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to Dallas, and I'm not going to Kansas City. I'm not going to Orlando. Um, those things aren't happening. But you know, there 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 seems that maybe they do want some coverage there, and they may let some press into these things. Well, I was told that, and and we have to say that you know you may never hear any of this again. This is developing quickly. There are teams that are you know vehemently opposed to any of this stuff. Uh, the players, we'll talk about the players union in a minute. They, they need to buy in on this too. So you're hearing this here, uh, but it, none of it may happen. So take this with a grain of salt. But yes, if the plan that is on the table, one of the plans on the table goes forward. Select media will be invited, um, and they—I don't know what that would entail. Whether, right. whether we see a v, uh, some sort of special feed on our computers, whether we get to go to the games. But MLS is very—the uh, fact that they were the first day in the NWSL were the first teams to approve these workouts, which are individual workouts at the team facility. MLS really wants to kind of milk the the uh, public relations part of this, and they know they can't do that without people there telling the stories. So I do think that they'll invite some media. Now, my understanding is the Bundesliga is not doing that. The right. Bundesliga, they did an estimate saying that it would take 240 people to open a stadium for a closed-door game, meaning the players, the technical staff, coaches, uh, I guess bus drivers, TV technicians, all that they had 240. Then they had to, the the government said no, that's too many, and I think they got it down to 218 or some number. But that did not include media because you can imagine the Bundesliga, one of the biggest leagues in the world. If they said, "Hey, who wants to cover this?" You'd have <laughs> half of England uh, going over there. So uh, they've locked it down. Uh, we're obviously and rightfully so. We're the last things that they should consider. But I do believe that they want media to come to the site and to do that, and not cover from home and to make the players available. Wow. What a, what an interesting idea, huh? Making the players available to us. <laughs> um, remember how the season ended, but uh, that is, is something that they're planning for how they do that though. I mean, that's probably a moving part that, you know, just another degree of danger they don't need to to add into i don't have to follow mls rules i guess they could give me a contract and said if you come you need to do this but hey i could leave the game and go to you know it's florida it's going to be open i can go to a bar and then i can go talk to dan Sterris the next day and infect him you know yeah. i mean I, I don't think dan will be very happy about that um no, no i don't think he would well i mean you know you look at some of the workarounds that you could uh, you could obviously do and you could have you know post-game press conferences on zoom i mean you know there's a whole bunch of ways to get around this right now and i think you know everybody's trying to pull on the same end of the rope as as all this goes so um but one of the things that you talked about is having to get the players union to sort of buy off on any sort of plan that comes forward and there was a formal proposal, I think, from Major League Soccer to the Players Union requesting a 20% pay cut um, from uh, from the players. I think we've sort of talked a little bit about this, Kevin. We've talked about, you know, sort of how that might play out in terms of players who make, you know, less than $100,000 um, and a whole bunch of other things. I haven't been able to read this proposal yet and sort of see all the details, um, but this isn't a surprise that, you know, a team, uh, a, a, a league that is, uh, I would imagine, hemorrhaging money as they're playing paying players not to play right now um, is hemorrhaging money that they are looking for a little cost savings, especially if they're going to try to start the season and it's the 25th uh, anniversary season 
for Major League Soccer, if they're going to try to start the season in closed-door environments, and, you know, if you're in California, there's there's zero chance, as far as I'm concerned, that anybody's in a stadium uh, to cheer on, you know, the LA Galaxy in 2020. 2021 seems like it's it's already going to be, you know, sort of the target, and hopefully in time for uh, the start of the new season, whenever that ends up being, depending on when this season actually ends. So there's a whole bunch of things that are sort of up in the air, but the 20% pay cut doesn't surprise anybody, does it, Kevin? Well, uh, ESPN's excellent, excellent Jeff Carlisle has been all over this. And by the way, when you mentioned the season ending, one of the proposals on the table is actually for MLS Cup in February or March right. of 2021, kind of like the Super Bowl. You know, you play the 2020 season and the championship game is in the next year. Um, some of the reporting, and uh, and this is not Jeff's fault, it's, it's the fault of this is a very murky issue, but um, to give you an idea of the money uh, crisis that MLS is under, um, their talk, top executives, including the commissioner, Don Garber, they took a 25% pay cut a month ago, April 16th, starting with the paycheck of April 16th. That's about five weeks into this thing. So they knew that this, this was already beginning to hurt them, um, you know, five weeks into it. And now we're another month along. Um, what they're asking the union to do, apparently they made the proposal Friday, a formal proposal to the union. It, at the first proposal was there would be sliding a sliding scale. In other words, the top guys, the DPs, Carlos Velos and Chicharitos, they would take a 20% pay cut because mm-hmm. they have more money that they could give up. Right. Uh, guys under 100000 would not take a pay cut at all, and you could not have your pay cut to go under 100000 So, example, if you make $101,000, if you make $101,000, you can't have your pay cut to go under it, a hundred thousand. Okay, now the proposal, as Jeff reported it, is twenty percent pay cut across the board. So right. that would su- suggest that that sliding scale has been thrown out. Jeff also, in his reporting, said that he estimates the MLS total payroll, team the player payroll, to be about three hundred and fifteen, three hundred and twenty million dollars. So if you count twenty percent of that, do the math. But that would be prorated too because they. Up until now, they've been getting their full paychecks. They're not going to retroactively take pay. It would be from now forward. Right. But that would be a substantial savings that would help. But as you mentioned, they're going to if they're going to play games without crowds, uh, I've been told by someone very high in MLS that um, we all know their TV contract is terrible. It's ninety million dollars. That's that's the, the sofa it's, change. I mean, I mean it's the EPL. Uh, I mean, it, you just don't don't say it's terrible though. It is. It was a great TV contract for Major League Soccer. For this then, last one. Yeah, yeah. And and it still is. I mean, it's still a good contract for but, Major League Soccer. It's just not very good compared to any other major sport. Does that does that make sense? But but what it is is it's not one of the major sources of revenue for right. Major League Soccer. Apparently it's gate receipts and corporate sponsorships, and there are so close no one really really wants to say this one is one and this one is two. So lump them together. It's gate receipts and, and corporate sponsorships. That is makes more than TV. Interestingly, though, I see a way that this could help with the TV deal. They're already negotiating a new TV deal going forward. And I think in the back of somebody's mind, perhaps if you're looking for something to tip the scale in favor of one way or the other, if MLS can get started before some of the other professional leagues, and we know right now people are watching marble races on TV, they're watching Korean baseball, uh, they're watching all kinds of weird stuff. If you were to put a real sporting event on TV in, in primetime or on a weekend, an MLS game, even a lot of non-soccer fans are going to watch that. And I think MLS in the back of its mind might be thinking, look, we're already negotiating for a new TV deal. Our TV ratings have not been stellar. What if we got out in front of baseball and some of these other sports and people watched our games and then we went to the networks and said, 
look at our ratings. They're through the roof. Well, the networks are going to say, no, they're not. People are watching that because it's a pandemic. Everyone's locked up at home and they can't watch anything else. And I think Major League Soccer would then come back and say, no, it's not. It's because soccer is really important now and it's really popular and people are watching. That's You could argue that back and forth as much as you want. But I think if the, in, in the back of its mind, if MLS thinks, we're going to put on these games on TV. And Don Garber's already referred to the resumption of the season as his TV show. If that happens, or a studio show, I think he called it, if that happens and the ratings go through the roof, then I think MLS you know, maybe has a better TV deal going forward. They don't make the money back this year, but maybe they make it back in the next TV deal. Yeah, it's a, some of it. Yeah, it's all interesting. And that's why it makes the 20% pay cut across the board. It makes sense to me. I, I mean, you know. Um, there's a huge revenue loss, and we, and we understand that for Major League Soccer, but also understanding, I think, that Major League Soccer should be fine through this. Um, you know, if it's protracted, if it lasts longer than really we think it is, and then there could be some issues. But for my, you know, for right now, it seems like MLS is actually in a really good position to uh, to to survive all of this and could actually, you know, even make up ground on some of the other major leagues um, in terms of, you know, the, the Bundesliga and La Liga and all that stuff. You know, you could see MLS taking some strides forward, especially in a transfer window, if Major League Soccer teams are buying and Major League Soccer is buying this transfer window. Uh, you know, if you're a, a player anywhere else in the world, um, you have to feel pretty good about coming to the United States that your paycheck is going to get cashed. It's going to be paid and you, you're able to cash it every week uh, coming to Major League Soccer. There's some other places around the world where that's not going to be the case that maybe we're already on shaky financial ground uh, and could really be in even more shaky financial ground going forward. So maybe Major League Soccer makes some play for some big names. So um, just some interesting, you know, again, some interesting developments, a lot of stuff sort of happening behind the scenes and things are starting to point towards, you know, hey, we're actually going to give this a try. I don't know if they're going to be successful, Kevin. I mean, I don't know if anybody's going to until the Bundesliga kicks off on the 15th. I'm not sure that, you know, I believe that they're actually going to get off the ground. Um, you know, you, you, you quarantine a couple more teams either in the upper level or the or Bundesliga two. you know, the, the second Bundesliga and. You're gonna you're gonna have people saying, "Why are we doing this? Um, and why is it going forward?" Obviously, money, but yeah, there's there's gonna be questions. Here, here's a stat that's interesting. Um, you know, the Bundesliga is the second highest, uh, best attended league, professional sports league in the world. Only the NFL draw has better average attendance than the Bundesliga. Their average attendance is just over forty thousand, so they're better than the Premier League for a number of different reasons. But they are, so that would seem to indicate that there is a ton of interest in and soccer in, in Germany, and there is. Do you know something like 65%, almost two-thirds of the people in Germany do not think the Bundesliga should resume play? Yeah, you think I, that would just bag it and 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 start up again next year? I mean, there's. I think you could find plenty of people here in Los Angeles who would say the same things. I see fans talking all the time about, you know, whether or not, I, you know, Eric... Uh, the hammer on the show. He and I text all the time about this stuff, and we see different articles that have sort of been put out. And you start reading, it and, see, and a lot of times we're like, "Why? Why are they even bothering? Just, just you know, wrap this one up. Everybody go home. Let's stop pretending like it's going to be a thing, uh, and let's just forget about it for a little while because it's not something that we need to be worried about." But there's a, there's a part of me also that's like, you know, could could I watch? Could could we cut, start covering Galaxy games coming up soon? Yeah, well, you could if they're behind closed doors. There's something to talk about. There's something to cover. Um, you know, and that's selfish, I, I think, in a lot of ways to say, oh, that would be that'd be fun again. But, you know, we've talked about it many times in the cultural significance of sports and during times of 
um, of difficulty uh, throughout the nation, sports have sort of been that getaway. And so this is one of those times that, you know, sports can't be that getaway and it can't be sort of that way to escape reality for a little while. And even if you're going to be watching games in closed door settings, I think there's always going to be in the back of your mind being this is not normal. This is still during, you know, a global pandemic. We're watching this and, and you know, things are not things are not all the same uh, as they were. So there's going to be less of an escape uh, probably that it was. But, you know, I still think MLS is going to give this a try. Uh, I just think it would be really interesting if they were leaders in any of this stuff, because it feels like they've always been sort of at least one or two steps behind um, some of the other major players, whether it was the NBA or uh, the NFL um, on this stuff. And it would be really interesting to see if MLS sort of takes a stab at this and is the first one to open back up because um, that could really cement major league soccer as quote unquote, one of the major sports. And we can argue about whether they are already or not, but I mean, you know, clearly there's a, there's a big two, uh, and there's a couple others after that, that you're certainly going to watch. Um, and you know, major league soccer has been making a rise up that, but could they be a sports leader in terms of, you know, the thought leadership that is coming out of, uh, you know, soccer and in the United States by being the first one, or is it a gamble? Um, and could that be a financial, you know, risk? So, oh, well, it's a huge gamble, especially if it leads to lawsuits, which is always part of the possibility. The things going in their favor is the game's going to be played outdoors, whether it's with fans or without. It's going to be played outdoors. You're right. I mean, if they were a leader, that would be, you know, that would be a tremendous stamp for them. Because right now, everyone's looking at Adam Silver in the NBA. They were the first league to to fold, and everybody remember remember that that day it was a Thursday. It was March 12th. Yes, the NBA folded on Wednesday night, and. In the first couple of hours of Thursday morning, we saw MLB folded. Uh, uh, you know, the NFL started talking about the draft. MLS folded. NHL. MLS does have a. It's a huge gamble. I think if they get it right, they look great. If they mess up, they could be in real trouble. So it's it's almost black and white how huge a gamble this would be. But they have some things in their favor. Uh, the crowds are a little bit smaller than they they're going to be in baseball and certainly the NFL. Uh, they're outdoors. The NHL and NBA is indoors. Right. Um, if they play with crowds or, or even without crowds, we saw NBA players getting affected from one another. So th- there's a lot of built-in uh, um, positives for MLS, but it is a gamble, especially if it winds up leading to lawsuits. We don't know what's going to happen, but you know that would be a possibility. And if it was a huge lawsuit, you know it, it, it could really add to the financial uh, problems are already having. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting time. Lots of stuff to pay attention to. So we'll continue to keep our eyes on that. Um, the final thing we sort of wanted to, to touch back on again, and I know, Kevin, you've done some reporting on this, so I wanted to give you a chance. I think Eric and I talked about this. I don't know if it was last week or the week before, um, but we talked about the LA Galaxy shuttering the Girls Academy. Um, it was the first fully funded Girls Academy uh, uh, under an MLS team. Um, you know, we had uh, the Academy director at the time, uh, Mr. Kevin Hartman, on not too long ago. Uh, whenever the Academy was still running, it was just a couple weeks later that uh, it would be shut down. But um, some, some yeah, again, I'll, I'll rehash this. We questioned at the very beginning of this where this was leading to. Uh, having a girls academy and not necessarily having a place for those girls to go, I, you know, i.e. an NWSL team, seemed like something that was a financial burden on the team um, more than it was trying to develop talent for one of their senior teams. It was also, you know, a really good PR move. But I'll, I'll tell you, when the PR move backfires whenever you you suddenly and swiftly cancel you know, the LA Galaxy Girls Academy and and send players looking for teams. And I certainly think the team is good. You know, the, the LA Galaxy are going to say, you know, well, with the pandemic and things that happened, it was just, it was something we couldn't keep. But Kevin, 
I'm at least of the belief that things were probably bad before that. And there was already talk of shuttering that. And the pandemic was just an easy way to sort of say this was the reason. Well, yeah, there's a lot to chew on there, too. When the academy opened, you're right. I mean, it first fully funded a, a girls academy run by an MLS team. I think immediately the thought was the only way this makes sense is if they have an NWSL team and we need one in L.A. and everything seemed to be lining up and Mia Hamm, part of the ownership group at LAFC had already started talking about it. And I saw this immediately as a way for the Galaxy sort of a one-up LAFC, who hadn't even played a game when the Galaxy opened their girls' academy, just sort of the way to get out in front of that. I don't know how serious the talks were, but at NWSL, for whatever reason, you know, they just started to talk about expanding into, I think, Nashville uh, or Tennessee, somewhere, um, where – they were ignoring LA again. And I don't know what the, the problem is with that, but I think perhaps the galaxy started to see that this was more of a long-term thing and that they didn't know if it would be sustainable. Now this is where a lot of the, uh, there are more girls playing AYSO soccer in the state of California than the rest of the nation combined. And most of those girls play in Southern California. And a lot of them, Alex Morgan, Christian press wind up on the uh, Amy Rodriguez wind up on the national team. So this is a hotbed of talent. There are a ton of great players. The problem is it's not like developing uh, boy players where you can sell them for tens of millions of dollars on a transfer fee and 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 make money off it. They're not going to get that much money uh, going to the NWSL or, or even to Europe as a young player. So there wasn't really the financial component to it that there was in the boys game. And they may have been looking to get out of it. But here's I've heard from coaches that were fired and from parents. And their big problem was that they see this up until the time U.S. soccer. You remember U.S. soccer decided to pull its support from the development academies right. uh, nationwide. Boys and girls development academies, more than 200 teams playing across the nation. It was a way sort of to siphon the best players into the same system and 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 have the best players play the best players. We can talk about whether that worked. A lot of people said it didn't. But the girls, the Galaxy Boys and Girls Academy were both part of that. So U.S. soccer pulls its funding. The development academy goes away. Most of the top players that were not with MLS-affiliated academies rushed to join uh, uh, another to join the uh, elite club national league, the ECNL. Boys and girls rushed to join that, especially on the girls' side. Um, with the Galaxy, the Galaxy didn't say anything to the girls' academy after that. They doubled down on the boys' academy, told everyone everything would be fine. But what I'm told from parents and players is that with the girls, they waited two weeks. They didn't say anything. They continued to act as if everything was normal. And then two weeks into that, they told the girls it was a two-paragraph email that each player got saying, "We are the, the academy is closed uh, forever. It's done. We're, you know, good luck. Um, and a lot of parents were very upset about that because when their, their, when their girls went to look for other age group places to play in Southern California in the – even teams in the ECNL, they were all full. They right. had already taken all the players from the other academy development academy teams. There was no place for these girls to go. And that is uh, the upsetment. I talked to one parent who said his daughter loved the academy. The coaches were great. She enjoyed the camaraderie. The best players in Southern California were there. But the way it ended really left a bad taste in their mouth. All the coaches were fired except Kevin Hartman now is going over to work on the uh, with the academy. MLS team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and in the boys' academy. But that was what uh, – there was no communication. And that's what people felt like, as you just said, that this is not something that someone woke up on a Wednesday morning and said, let's do this. That this was in the works for a while, and they never gave anybody a little bit of heads up. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's tough. Anytime anything ends like this, it doesn't. It tends to not end well, Kevin. Um, but you but know. Go, go, going back to your original point, I'm sorry to cut you yeah. off, but going back to your original point, before I forget, you talked about the PR uh, mess that this creates. And we're talking about they did this in the, uh, less than a year after the U.S. women's team won its second consecutive World Cup with Southern California players at the, at, you know, leading the way. And they did it in the middle of U.S. women's team's lawsuit against U.S. soccer where they're claiming gender discrimination. So what does the Galaxy do in the middle of all that? They cut the girls' academy. Uh, they, you know, reorganized the boys' academy. You can argue that the girls got hosed again, Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and the Galaxy doubled down with the boys. I'm not saying that's what happened and I'm not saying it was that calculated. I'm sure the Galaxy could talk us through a number of different ways in which this makes sense. I'm not dumping on the Galaxy. I'm just saying, as you mentioned, from the PR standpoint, this looks – the timing could not possibly have – ever been worse yeah i mean again it, it, it scratches it makes you scratch your head though it's like what was the what was the original plan um you know to, to have a fully funded girls academy was great but again it seemed like it was a first move in a series of moves you know it seemed like it was the first jump in checkers and you had two more coming up uh that you had already pre-planned and then you know for whatever reason that plan got screwed up it didn't happen i mean if this was the full plan which was to launch a fully funded girls academy system then from the development side of your professional soccer team and basically everything that you do should be sort of pointed at the fact that you are doing stuff to support the senior teams and in this case there was no senior team to support maybe that's too simple i'm sure the academy people are going to tell you you know it's more it's it's more than just trying to support the senior team but in my mind any academy system any any project that you have for youth players and youth training is yes they're going to get an you know an education in in soccer from some of the best coaches in you know the United States yes they're going to be linked with one of the most storied franchises in major league soccer um all those things are positives but we all know why they're doing those moves and those moves are to support the senior team whether that's to develop talent to eventually sell that talent that that money goes back into developing more talent that possibly some of those people get you, you know developing youth soccer talent is a ridiculously expensive thing to do and you get very little payoff but every once in a while one really pays off and if one really pays off for you then it you you sort of made up back all your money plus some if you get it right um we just haven't seen it really get right um yet not on the boys side and then with the girls side it was like well what is what's considered a success here and it really came down to you know finding girls uh places to play college um and then that college hopefully would lead to nwsl which is great but what does that do for the senior team um and how does that do and it never seemed that there was a plan there it seemed like it was a a wish in the dark now more than anything and i think that should be criticized to some point um is unless somebody wants to tell us that hey we had plans for an nwsl team we wanted to do it uh we were putting it together whenever the pandemic came and we realized that now with the losses that we have we're never going to be able to do it at least not within the short term and the money that we were spending on the girls academy was just too much it was too much of a drain on both the academy system and on even on the senior team system uh that it was going to cause us to not be competitive i mean those those are real answers instead of you know not hearing anything and just sort of you know the girls academy team just disappears overnight um which and is we're sort talking of about 80 yeah. plus girls uh on five teams and I, th- I think that what i'm getting from the parents is they there's some conflicting things that, that kevin hartman if a if a girl asked for help finding the team that he helped them uh but there's some parents that feel like they shouldn't have had to ask 
you know, if you brought the, the girl to your academy and she played there for three years and you're closing the academy, you just don't say, hey, clean out your locker. You say, you know, here's the new team that you're on. We've worked on this. And the Galaxy, if the Galaxy knew that this was coming, um, they could have worked on this. They could have played some of these girls. These were the best girls in Southern California. Any of these teams would have been happy to have them. But now, uh, w- once you decide to take this girl, you can't say, hey, we just found a better one from the Galaxy a week later. Sorry. you got to stick with your commitment. And I, I think the Galaxy, the feeling among the parents is the Galaxy let them down. Yeah, uh, again, it's just uh, it's just interesting. Um, I, I, I just want to know what the end game was, and I, I don't think there was one. And so that's, that's the criticism on my part, at least. All right. Um, I think that's about it, Kevin. Do you have anything else you want to touch on before we, we get out of here? Because I think we've covered, you know, the LA Galaxy didn't train, but we're expecting them to train sometime this week, Wednesday or Thursday, you know, you, by the Friday, certainly, you know, hopefully all that stuff works out and we'll keep you updated on that. Uh, live show coming up on Thursday night, so uh, you'll be able to uh, to get all the updates that we have on that. Um, we were, by the way, uh, you know, Corner of the Galaxy and, and Larry Morgan, not on Twitter there, was ready to cover the training in terms of we were actually going to uh, do an interview with a player from their car um, and they were going to call Larry and we're going to write it up and put it. So, I mean, we were ready to cover this morning, um, you know, the resumption of individual training, mostly because it's something. Um, so that step didn't happen, but we expect that that's going to happen. But uh, watch for these little things to start lining up. Uh, certainly MLS has a plan that they're working on, um, and we'll see whether or not that plan can come to fruition uh, here uh, very quickly and sort of put teams back either in training or put teams back um, in quarantine places where they can train and where they can play games in closed door uh, settings. So a lot well, of stuff if, to figure out. What about if the plan is the same plan as the Galaxy had with the Girls Academy? They didn't have a plan. And then, yeah, yeah exactly. Well, and as often happens, uh, just as we're getting ready to wrap up this podcast, Stephen Goff actually coming out uh, from the Washington Post and saying that MLS is now proposing that all 26 teams uh, go to Orlando and play games in Orlando in closed-door fashions. There's a bunch of information out there. We're going to need time to break this down um, as it goes. But that is the proposal as it stands, it seems, right now. And as we said, things could change you know, by the minute. But uh, a bunch of interesting stuff to sort of conclude here and wrap some things up. Hey, By the you, way, do you read the Rolling Stone magazine? I do, I do not. That's still a thing, right? That's dude. I get it, man. All the cool kids read it. I just was going to tell you they had a thing in there the other day. Top ten podcasts to listen to during the pandemic. Corner of the Galaxy was not in there, and I thought that magazine was really good and uh, it was, you know really sort of uh, had its pulse on uh, finger on the pulse of the nation. How did they miss us? I, I heard we came in eleventh. That's what it was. Oh. Uh, so we were really close. Uh, you know, hey, it, it is what it is. No, no, no uh, God, this is Spinal Tap. This one goes to eleven. <laughs> this one goes to that's, uh, that's good. All right, uh, let's see. I think that's about it. Uh, if you're uh, if you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter on Twitter, it's at kbaxter11. And please head on over to LA Times, where he's a Metro reporter. He's a soccer reporter when there's soccer news, uh, but he's a Metro reporter as well. So head on over to the LA Times for all of your coverage of Major League Soccer here in Southern California. Um, and around the, the rest of the nation, you're going to want to do that. If you're looking for me on Twitter, it's at JGSMN, J-G-U-E-S-M-A-N, and of course, at the Galaxy Podcast. And please head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com. Our podcasts are there, and if there's something to write about, we will write about it. So check that out, cornerofthegalaxy.com. All right, for Mr. Kevin the Panda Baxter, I'm Josh Pat and You've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Have a great one, everybody. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. 
fans, we thank you for listening, and we ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.